This is the Equip Podcast hosted at Rocky Creek in Greenville, South Carolina. This weekly course seeks to equip our church for the work of ministry. Hope it will help you as well. All right, so you got your handout there, and we're going to be in Exodus 18. So if you can turn to Exodus 18, we're going to get there here in just a little bit um, and go through uh, this together. Uh, just as a way of reminder, we've been going through this on Sunday mornings and also on Sunday evenings, but Distinctive Discipleship, Designing Specific Plans for Christian Maturity. Uh, we've looked at that passage of Colossians chapter 1, um, where, you know, I'm going to say it so many times for y'all, y'all are going to have it memorized, right? But it says, Christ in you, the hope of glory, we proclaim him, uh, it, uh, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone complete or mature in Christ. For this I toil, laboring with all the energy which he mightily works within me. And so the goal is there is once again, we've looked at the last few weeks of how would we unpack this and to say that every single person, if we came up with a game plan of how you would grow over the next, say, six to 12 months. And so this is not for the rest of your life. This is for a season of time that you need to work on something. And then guess what's going to happen? Not saying you get perfect in these areas, but hopefully you're going to see some success and some progress, and then guess what's going to happen? Life's going to come at you, and you're going to need some other stuff you're going to work on, right? We, we, this isn't a certificate of completion necessarily as much as this is a process that we're making disciples over time. And so we uh, looked at, once again, these six categories there, and even if you're following along um, on, on this bookmark here, the goal is, once again, if you look at those six categories, I got the side that has the um, icons really big where it says delight disobedience, doctrine, going on from there. The goal would be for you to have a version of this where you'd remind yourself of the scripture it comes from in Colossians 1. And then if you turn over this backside, the goal is to, to take each one of these categories and say, all right, I'm going to come up with where I am right now, and I'm going to work on these areas. And so just as a way of reminder, the first one, I need to delight in Jesus more than, and you could say, well, everything. Yeah, yes and amen to that, right? But ultimately, it's what is that thing that is really taking your joy right now? Uh, are you following Jesus out of duty rather than delight? Are you doing it because it's obligation rather than an opportunity? Or would some of you say, you know what, the greatest joy of my life is this? And I guess I could ask you the question, what wakes you up in the morning you're thinking about? What, what keeps you up at night you keep thinking about? Like, what is that thing that brings so much delight to your life? And I'm just saying that if you try to do any of these other five categories for any other reason other than the fact of you want to, you're eventually going to get tired and you're going to stop. The second category there is disobedience. Uh, and on that, about the warning everyone passage, my disobedience that must be addressed is, once again, I'm not going to pass the microphone around tonight. You're welcome for that and ask what everybody is. But um, I think everybody in this room, we could say, man, I got lots of things that I need to work on. And I would say yes and amen to that. But what is that next thing? That, folks, if you don't take care of it, it's going to take care of you, right? What is that thing in your life, that disobedience, that struggle, that is literally something that it, um, is bothering you, it is, you continue to trip up in? And I've said this here at the church a whole lot, but also know this. Um, the area that you struggle with is not going to be consistent with everybody else in your life, okay? So some of you are, have certain areas. Uh, how many of y'all, like... Uh, I don't want to show a hands, but I just want you to think about something for a second. Some of y'all know that uh, it's kind of difficult for some of us in this room to keep our mouth closed when we, we probably need to. Does that make sense? Like you always got to say something. Some of us have temper problems. Some of us can lash out and just, oh, my goodness, and you, you can see it. And then some of y'all probably know some people in your life that are pretty mild-mannered. 
they, you can say something rude to them and they just don't ever feel like they're going to burst out into a temper, right, or something like that. And so the reason why I say that is uh, not everybody, we're all prone to wonder, but we're prone to wonder in different ways. And so what is that disobedience, that area that you've got to address? Three uh, is doctrine. It's teaching everyone with all wisdom. Is the pivotal doctrine for me to study is this. What is it about the Bible or belief in the Bible that you go, I'm unsure about? And what is that thing that you could say, I'm going to put a lot of work into really, really knowing? And then you start that process. Four, development we're going to talk about tonight, but I need development and learning how to. Uh, there are some folks today that came up to me and said, I know what I need to do. I need to learn how to make a personal budget and stop spending so much money. That's a great thing. That's a wonderful thing. Some people say, I need to learn how to listen more. And I said, what did you say? Anyway, but they, yeah, there are certain things they said, I need to do. or what, I, what is something you need to develop in? Some of us need better work habits. Some of us need to learn how to put down the phone and, and be not as distracted in life. Uh, it could be a certain skill set, you name it. Um, next week, we're going to talk about spiritual discipline, and you would say, I will focus on the spiritual discipline of. It might be Bible reading. It might be prayer. It might be scripture memory. But what is that one thing? Rather than trying to do everything at one time, what's that one thing you need to work on? And then last, dependence. Uh, my prayers of dependence will ask God to, what are you praying for for God to do in your life? I mean, specifically. Not, Lord, just bless me and everybody else. Like, no, specifically, what are you asking for God to do? Uh, and so as we, we go through this uh, tonight, we're going to look a little bit more at a clarifying development, looking at Exodus 18. And uh, so on your, your first page there, it's the uh, first paragraph. It says, what, in what ways do you need development? It all depends upon what you have been given and where you have been placed. As particularly gifted and positioned disciples, we each should pursue the need of maturity to do what God has called us to accomplish. Um, I want to I tell you a quick story to show you how important this is. So um, before I, um, God led us here to Rocky Creek, I served as an associate pastor in Greenwood, South Carolina. Uh, for uh, That's where I grew up. I served on staff there for 14 years. I started off as the college and missions pastor. Then I moved to the worship pastor. Then I became the family and worship pastor. One of those days, they were going to figure out something I was going to be good at, and they were going to keep me there, okay? But they kept moving around, doing a lot of different things. Well, what happened was, when I became the worship pastor, um, I am a, uh, I will say what I, I call a poor man's musician, okay? Some of y'all may know this about me, some of you don't. I'm a poor man's musician. My wife is classically trained. She can read. She knows what words mean and all these different things. She knows what she's doing. I have a, I have a pretty good ear where I had some, some older fellows in my life when I was a young boy, a teenager basically, where they come in and say, hey, I want you just to listen to this. And they would just start putting an instrument in front of me and just teach me how to play along the way. I can remember the first time um, this, uh, our music minister was teaching me how to play uh, certain things on the bass guitar at our church. It was the first guitar that had ever been in that church. So let me tell you where they put that bass guitar, on the front pew. Getting out on the stage, but I was tucked away there, so you couldn't really see me, but I was, I was playing it. Uh, and, and I remember that, that one, one Sunday night, and I got up there, and I said, hey, uh, I said, where, where's the music? He goes, ah, I didn't bring any music for you tonight. Are we singing a cappella? No, we're going to play. I said, well, what am I going to do? He goes, you're going to feel it. And I said, feel what? <laughs> you know, like, what do you mean? Feel, like, what, what, what? He says, I want you to feel the music, and I want you just to follow me. I'll start singing and you just come along. Well, I'm going, I, there's no way I know how to do it. Well, what he'd been doing, you, you ever you never seen Karate Kid, Miyagi, he's waxing on, waxing off. Like, that's what he'd been doing to me all this time, teaching me how to listen and, and do certain things. And I got to the place where, amazingly, I could do what he, he started singing and I could follow him, right? Well, that's great for me. So I can, I can listen to somebody sing and I can jump on an instrument and start following along. Here's the problem. So I love to lead worship like that, play music like that, but there are other people like my wife or other people, guess what? They can't do that. They're not wired to do that. 
And so what I did is now I'm, I'm the worship pastor. And so I'm say, all right, this is what we're going to do. We're going to get there at practice, and we're just going to feel it. And they go, feel what? <laughs> you know, what do you mean? I'm like, just, just follow me. We'll, we'll, we'll start in the key of G, and we'll, we'll see what happens there. Now, for some of you that have a C personality, what that means is you are very detail-oriented, and if, like, if the chair is supposed to be here and somebody slides it over to the side, your twitch comes back. You know what I'm talking about? Like, those kind of people. Like, I would try to tell them, like, hey, it's going to be fine. Everything's going to be fine. Just, just if you just follow me, we'll be okay. Here's what happened. There were people who God had wired them to be very detailed-oriented, and they couldn't follow me. They couldn't offer God their best because I was refusing to be organized. Does that make sense? They couldn't do, like, they're going, Travis, I'm not wired like that. I can't just hear stuff and just sort of jump in. And I go, well, you should. It's great. Just live in my world. They're like, I, I can't. I don't live in that world. That's not how I've been trained. And so what I realized this, I was limiting people who had a gift for worship, talented, wanted to serve the church, all because I couldn't get organized in ahead of them. And so while this area is so important is this, going back to the whole thing we talked about this morning is you could be doing something or not doing something. It's not only affecting you, it's affecting other people around you. So I started doing something that was so unlike me, okay, so unlike me. Um, instead of, hey, we'll show up on Sunday and do whatever happens or we'll show up on Wednesday night for practice, I started getting regimented in my life where I would say 10 days before practice, Every person is going to get a request to sing, and every little thing that they're going to need, every piece of music is going to be available, all this kind of stuff. I had reminders that come out on my, my phone to remind me to do this and to send this out and to do that, and it was so unlike me. And guess what happened as a result? Those people in our ministry could just flourish, flourish. You know why? Because I got organized. I started doing some things that were not uh, natural for me, but it helped them out. And I can remember talking to one lady uh, in our church, in our, our worship team, and one of the sweetest ladies in the world, and it was literally like she had just come alive. She's like, I just, you know, appreciate your leadership, but just having stuff organized, like I have been practicing for the last 10 days. I'm like, the last 10 days? Well, since you've started sending this out to me, and guess what happened at practice? Man, she took it to a whole other level. And what happened was because I'd set her up to do that. And so that applies in the church, that applies in your family, that applies in a work position, that folks, sometimes it's not a sin thing, it's just getting ahead on some stuff and helping other people out. I realize this as the pastor of this church, if, if I don't have certain disciplines in my life, it does affect the church. In the same way in your position, if you get certain things slack in your life, there may be some stuff that doesn't happen. And this is why it's so important. When you look at that consider section there, it says there's a difference in working on something because you are supposed to learn it versus you are desperate to know it. Does that make sense? Okay. Uh, each of us knows the stark contrast between being eager and being resistant. In the list below, write down some pieces of knowledge or skill that you had to learn. Beside each item, list a reason for why you felt negative or positive towards that training. So here's what I want you to do. At your table, I want you to look at this, and I want you to write down something that you were eager to learn in your life. It may have been last week, or it may have been 20 years ago. You were eager. You wanted to know how to do it, and why would you say that? And I want you to also write down something you were resistant to learning, okay? You just didn't want to. Your mama made you, whatever it was, okay? What is something you were eager to learn, and what is something you resistant to learn? So at your table, I want you to write that out, but also just talk about it. So you can choose one. One thing you're going to share at your table, that either you were eager to learn or resistant to learn. On your mark, get set, and share. Maybe as you were talking, you, you found some things that uh, 
Maybe you were eager to learn in your life, or maybe there were other things that you were resistant to learn. If you look down there, it says in your, uh, within that discussion, you probably realize that the reason you resented distinct development processes in your life is that you saw no value in the training. Does that make sense? Where somebody's just making you do something, and you go, what's the point of this? What is the point? I don't see what this is helping me. We seem to find motivation for development when we either feel a potential risk or an exciting prospect. That there's got to be something inside you that goes, there's a potential risk if I don't figure this out, or there's an exciting prospect if I do figure this out, what this could provide for me, right? So uh, we get done with services this morning, and then uh, we, we headed the house for a little bit. I've got a few council appointments for the afternoon, and all I want to do is I just want to sleep. That's all I want to do. Now, I can't sleep for long because if I sleep long, I won't be able to sleep at night, so I need about three to eight minutes where I can just keep my eyes closed and then I'm good to go, right? And so I lay down and I got about four and a half in and I was like, okay, I feel charged up, you know, but I was like, Amanda, what, what, is there anything you need me to do? She said, I would really love to go walking right now. I said, that is a great idea for you to go walking right now <laughs> because it is 118 degrees in the middle of September and it is afternoon and I'm going to have to get in a shower. If I literally think about going outside, I'm, I'm sweating right now, right? And, and here's the thing, folks. I went on a two-mile walk a little while ago. I, I sweat a lot. I had to get a shower. I had to get cleaned up. And here's the reason why I was eager to do it. My wife is pretty, <laughs> and she asked me to go with her. And spending some time where me and her could sit there and talk, it was worth the pain just to be there beside her. You following me? So you have to start figuring yourself out, what are the things in your life that you go, I know I need to do that. And what is the motivation for it? For me, staying connected with my wife, that's worth going out and walking two miles in the middle of whatever, Falmageddon it's supposed to be. It's just so hot, right? It is, it is worth it to do that when I say she's worth it. That, that, and so for you right now, there's probably some stuff in your life you were forced to learn. But then there's another gear that you go into when you think, if I do this, oh man what this will, will provide for me. I'll, and it may be I can advance my career, or maybe my family won't be so full of drama. Whatever it is, it excites you and you get behind it, and you don't complain about learning it, do you? Put in the extra hours. Why? Because you see the value in it. So here's the thing, folks. we got to figure out what that is that you need developing in, and we got to make sure that you buy into the fact, the value that's there. So I want you to turn, if you hadn't turned over to Exodus 18, to look at this story. How many of y'all have ever heard of a guy by the name of Jethro? Y'all heard of Jethro, okay? This is Moses' father-in-law, okay? Um, so, you know, if Moses, all right, this is this may be an um, encouraging word for some of you. Moses, the guy who actually received the Ten Commandments from God Almighty, his daddy-in-law still told him what to do. So if, if that happens for Moses, you should feel better about yourself if that's ever happened to you, right? But here's this man who's going to come up, and I want to read this. Um, we're going to walk through this, this passage together because it's so incredible. You're about to see a man, follow me, that's not as spiritually as mature as Moses is, but he's wise. And I'll say this, any wisdom is God's wisdom. Any wisdom is God's wisdom. If there's somebody from the world who goes, here's a good healthy practice, and you go, man, that's wise. Guess who that came from, ultimately? It came from God. So here's a man who's not as spiritually as mature as Moses is going to look at Moses' job and say, son, you could do this better. And if Moses is proud, going, my father-in-law don't know what he's doing. He's not the man of God, blah, blah, blah. He's never said, if he does that, I'm going to tell you something. He's going to miss out on something later. But if he's humble enough to receive instruction from somebody older than him, and a little bit wiser than him in this area, not only is his life going to get better, but he's going to have an experience with God that's going to change everything. 
everything. So let's look. Verse 1 says, Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home, along with her two sons. The name of the one was Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. And the name of the other, Eleazar, for he said, the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness, where he was encamped at the mountain of God. And when he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. Now, don't, not necessarily you have to apply all that stuff, okay, fellas? Just saying, okay, but... And they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them in the way, and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel and that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord. Stop. Verse 1 told us he was a priest of Midian. You may not know what that is, but does that sound like biblical faith to you? It's not. Okay? He's not a believer in the God of the Bible. And when Jethro says in verse 10, he goes, Blessed be the Lord. Once again, that word Lord, for those who have been around here a while, you know what that name means, right? When it's all capital letters with the word Lord, that is the covenantal name of God. Speaking out of the burning bush, I am who I am, Yahweh. So he says this, I'm not just saying blessed be God, some generic God. I'm calling your God by name. Blessed be Yahweh. And he says, Blessed be the Lord, blessed be Yahweh, who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Watch this. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. What just happened here, Jethro? He just got converted. He just got changed. Now, I know this is Old Testament. You go, well, how did that, exactly that happen? He saw all the gods out there and all the different types of worship, and he heard what God had done for the Israelites, and he says, there's no God like this one. And he brings a, a sacrifice to them. That says, I, I believe in this God. Like, I, I believe he's different than any other God. That's biblical faith, folks. That's what he comes down to. So he has this moment. So if you look at that first question, what happened to Jethro as a result of Moses' testimony? Folks, say it however you want to. Converted, he was saved, he was changed. He developed faith in God as a result of what God had done in Moses' life. Man, isn't that awesome? Wouldn't that be great to know that a family member of yours or even a family, family member of your spouse's comes up and, and develops their own faith in God based on what they see God delivering you from? Think about that. Isn't that an incredible thought to say, man, I see what God is doing in your life. I want to follow your God. This is something different. I've never seen anything like this. This is what happens when Jethro comes along. But then you look up, and so you go, okay, after they have this worship service, they have this incredible moment, something changes here. Something changes. Look at verse uh, number 13. It says, The next day Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you were doing for the people? 
what, why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me and I decide between one person and, and another. And I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, what you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. So just stop there for a second. Jethro, after having a conversion experience, says, hey, Moses, let me follow you to work one day. Tell me what you do. He follows him along, comes up. And what does Jethro realize about his son-in-law, Moses? He got a tough job. So you mean to tell me you sit here all day and people bring their problems to you? Yeah. And nobody else helps you? Who else is going to do this? This is my job. And I can imagine Jethro going, uh-uh. I imagine the first 40 years with the sheep were probably easier than this, right? I mean, all day long, people just come to you and just tell them problem after problem after problem. Man, that seems overwhelming. And so Jethro noticed about Moses, he was overwhelmed, that he was, uh, he was maxed out. He was completely just um, trying to do too much on his own strength. He saw that about him. Now, let me ask you a question. You don't even have to have too much spiritual depth to see that in somebody else, do you? Y'all ever been... You're at a store, you're checking out somebody, and the person is just ringing stuff up, and you go, I don't think this person's life is okay right now. You can just tell, right? They're frustrated, they're tired, and you go, you doing all right today? I'll take that as a no, right? Okay, And you can tell. Well, here's the thing. Jethro comes in, and he sees this about Moses. Something's not right. And and then, like, think about this. He he says, uh, the people come to, to me to inquire of God when they have a dispute. Okay, so... What kind of cases do you think Moses had to address? Just think for a second. There are thousands and thousands and thousands of Israelites wandering through the wilderness with some stuff and some families. Just imagine for yourself, what are some of the disputes that probably came to Moses' attention? They march up, they get in line, and they go, we, Moses, we need some help. This is going on. What, somebody give me an idea of what you think might have been an issue. Hungry? Yeah, okay. We're hungry. Somebody took my manna. I had it over there, right? Okay, that's a big one. Oh, hungry. Uh, and y'all know when you get hungry, things get out of hand anyway, right? Okay. Uh, what else would you say? Disputes. He smells bad. He smells bad. Okay, yeah, they're, they're talking. We're walking through the wilderness. There's just hygiene issues. I, I just don't like this person. Great. What else might you think? Stole, yeah, stole my sheep. There's some ceiling. What did you say? Yeah, law, law, like what are we supposed to do here, the, the, the order and whatnot? Um, think about this. Do you think there were any type of issues of, I put my tent right here, and they, they, they encroached on my property here. You know what I mean, all, all kinds of stuff, all kinds of stuff. Uh, he said he was going to let me marry his daughter, and now he's giving it. Moses is sitting there listening to people's problems all day long. Some of you are like, that's my job. Okay, if it is, we're going to pray for you, right, okay? Um, but it's literally listening to jobs all day long, yep. Yeah, yeah, illness, sick. I, 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 we don't have a doctor out here. We don't have the urgent care. Moses, I got this. You know, let me, let me, let me show you. And, and here's the thing. Sometimes you got to realize, if y'all have never been this, sometimes people don't mind showing religious leaders what their medical condition is. And I go, I don't need to see what's under that hospital gown right now. I trust you. It's bad. Okay, don't, you don't have to show me. Just tell me what it is. Okay, right? And so you can imagine, there's a lot of people saying, Moses, look what is going on. And Moses is like, I am not a doctor, people, okay? And all kinds of stuff he's getting. And Jethro looks at him and going, son, you can't do this. You can't. Like, this is too much for you to do. In fact, what did he say? Um, verse 17, what you are doing is not good. 
You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Okay? Now, that is a picture for us. I think it's very, very important for us all to think of for a second. He says, you can't do this on your own. You need some people to come alongside you. Then look what happens, uh, 19. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God, and you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens, and let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they should decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure, and all this people also will go to their place in peace. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. That's just a miracle in itself, by the way, just that line, okay? He listened to his dad-in-law, and he did everything asked. Verse 25, Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens, and they judged the people at all times. Any hard case they brought to Moses, but any small matter, they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went away to his own country. So how did Jethro encourage Moses to change? If you got there on the back side of your page there for you to think through, what was it that Jethro asked, him, uh, Jethro asked Moses to do? Well, ultimately, get organized. Delegate, right? Get some systems in your life. You can't do all this. Trust other people. Develop other people. Pour into these people and watch what will happen. And so basically he said this, all right? Moses, you do have an interesting set of skills, and you have taught with God. So if it's a big issue, let them bring it to you. But if it's squabbling about whose tent is on whose property and whose manna is what, you can't get into that, son. You're going to wear yourself out, but get something. Does it need to be addressed? Absolutely it does. It's got to be addressed, so he says, but come up with a plan. This is just like in Acts chapter 6, if you've ever read about this. It says all the disciples, they're, they're baptizing people like crazy. People are coming to know Christ. And all of a sudden, some, some widows come up to the church leaders and say, we're being neglected in the food hand, uh, delivery every day. And Peter says, I can't, follow me, I can't stop preaching to wait tables. I can't do that. I've got to be called to the word and prayer. We're trying to share the gospel. But did Peter do something about it? Yeah, he did. He said, I'm going to call some deacons to come alongside me, and I'm going to empower these guys to do it. So he took care of the needs, but he also knew this. I can't do it all. I can't do it all. And so he started looking at some folks who could do it, pulled along people like Stephen, and Stephen did an incredible job. Absolutely. And so he encouraged Moses to change and was able to do an incredible, incredible thing in his own life uh, just by delegating and by getting organized. Now, when you think through that, you go, okay, so there's a good biblical example that probably some business leaders can use and whatnot, but I, I, I don't want you to miss this. When you look at Exodus chapter 18, I'm going to ask you a real deep theological question. You ready? What chapter comes after Exodus 18? You got it, 19. Y'all are smart. Why don't you look down 19 for a second? What's, what's, the, what's the, the subheading at 19? Israel at Mount what? What comes after 19, folks? Look over at 20. What is chapter 20 all about? Ten Commandments. Now stop. Practically speaking, when Moses had ever gotten up the mountain to be with the presence of God and hear the Ten Commandments, if he was still dealing with whose sheep belonged to what person? So here's a man 
named Jethro, not that spiritually mature, but says, son, you need some development to get your life in order. Or else you're going to miss what God has called you to do because you are doing something I've never intended you to do. Now, folks, look at, look at chapter 19. Look at it. It is unbelievable. If you look at what takes place, he comes down. Look at, we'll just, we'll, we'll skip down to verse uh, 16. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightning and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast, so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. And they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. Folks, I don't know about you, but I can't even fathom what that must have been like to be Moses in that moment. To be, I mean, just face to face with the presence of Almighty God. I mean, the, the mountain is literally shaking, and you hadn't died yet, you know? And just going, okay, okay, I'm here, I'm all right. And then all of a sudden, what happens? In chapter 20, Moses is the first person to hear the words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself the carved image. All these wonderful commandments that we hear, and honestly, has changed history and civilizations itself by what's happened here. And I'm telling you right now, Moses would have never made it up that mountain if he wouldn't have got his life ordered. If he wouldn't have gotten to. He'd have been dealing with all this kind of stuff. He had, folks, he had the margin now to be able to go and do that because he took care of his stuff over here. Jesus said it another way, to whom much is given... Much is required, and to the one who has much will be given more if he's faithful to what he's got. Here's, here's the thing. Some of y'all, you know, you remember that parable where Jesus said there's this one guy got, you know, uh, ten of this, and one got five of this, and one got one, and we go, well, that's not fair. Jesus shouldn't have you know, given everybody the same amount. Is that, that's not what he says. Jesus goes, no, he said he, this one he gives to this much, this much he gives to that one. And what happened? Jesus said he continued to give more to the person who was faithful to what he had. But the one who was sitting there going, well, I'm not going to do anything with it. They weren't working on it. Jesus said, why don't you take that away and give it to somebody else who's actually going to do something with it? And so in the same vein, Jethro comes along and says, Moses, I want you to start working on these things so you can experience some stuff that you, you need to happen. So when you look at that discuss uh, section, it says, Jethro provided practical help to Moses that reaped spiritual rewards. Moses' need was unique to his situation. He didn't need help and delegation before this time in his life. But God brought support at a specific time. As we began to narrow your scope, let's think through ways that many people need to be developed. These might be practical areas, but they are related to the overall maturity of the individual. So, here's the thing. Next thing it says, what are the practical ways that people need training in the following categories? I've listed six there. Uh, successful vocation. That's a job, okay? I, sometimes I look at it and think, oh, vacation? That's no, a vocation. It's a job, your work. So I want in a second for you to think through what, what, what's a successful, uh, what are some tips that somebody might need to have in a successful vocation? What are some practical ways that people need to be trained in a healthy marriage, to have a healthy marriage? And it's, hey, fellas, it's more than learning how to say, yes, dear. It's more than that, okay? It's a lot more than that. Uh, intentional parenting. Are there some skill sets that you need there? For sure. Church involvement? Absolutely. Personal finances? Or just 
plain old life skills, just teaching. So I want at your table, I want you just to maybe uh, put down a couple for each one. Start just brainstorming together. Uh, think through what are some practical ways that people need training in those following ways. I'll give you a few minutes and then we'll come back together. On your mark, get set, go. All right, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to just uh, get a couple maybe like uh, volunteer answers here for a little bit. But let's look at that first one. What are some practical ways that people need training in following categories? Successful vocation. What are some things you would say, man, this is something people need to know how to do? Anybody? Train them. A medical doctor. Yeah, they need to know that, right? All right. Say that again. Yeah, share on the dollar. Sharing knowledge. Okay, I'm sorry. Also learning how to hear better. Okay, no. Uh, so sharing knowledge, that's a good thing. Learning how to do this. I mean, how many of you realize that sometimes... I think everybody here, you've been at work somewhere, and then you realized, if so-and-so doesn't show up to work tomorrow, we don't even know how to unlock the building. You, you know what I'm saying? Like, there have been those times where this person has all this knowledge in their head, let alone something bad happened to them. You go, and we got to share that knowledge with, with somebody else. Um, I, I think, folks, in successful vocation, there's just a lot of people who've never been trained that you need to show up on time, actually early. Be prepared, ready to go, have all your tools in place, whatever you need, and just to be on time. You know why? Because you got a job to do, and it glorifies God when you do it well. Be on time. Get prepared. Um, so, so I think that's a big one. What about healthy marriage? What are some practical ways? Listening and respecting. Mm-hmm. Taking, taking a walk. Yeah, that's right. Honesty, communication. How, how many of you? I, well, I'm not going to show a hand. This would be bad. Um, you, I think every, every person who's ever been married has always said, we just got a communication problem. What does that mean? That person don't agree with me all the time. That's what that means normally, right? But this is what it also means sometimes. Somebody doesn't like to talk long about something, and somebody wants to unpack everything. Well, who's going to lose there? Somebody wants to say, here's my deepest, darkest self, and the other one's going, I don't have a deepest, darkest self. Like, this is it. This is, there ain't a whole lot going on here, right? Okay? And, and so you, you have a hard time in learning what it means to really listen to one another, to, to learn how to love someone. I, I, this is such a critical, critical deal, but I, I think through about how also in marriage, you got to learn that the person you love is changing. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but they, they change through the years. I, I'll give you an example. When, we, when Amanda and I got married 15 years ago, right, she never liked to be alone. She could not stand it. She just was like, just, just didn't like being. So, so we lived in a double wide trailer, and, and I would go into the other room. She's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I just, I don't know, breathing. I'm just like, I'm, I'm, I'm right here. Like, I'm not that far away. And she's like, well, I'll come in there with you. And I'm like, is there something wrong? No, I just want to be with you. I was like, well, I like being with you too. But and she just loved, she didn't never like being by herself. And if I was going somewhere, she's like, well, I might go to my mom's. I'm like, don't you like, now I, I get recharged by peace, quiet, and nobody around. I just I get recharged by I need it sometimes. That's why I get up in the morning and just go spend time where I don't see anybody. If I, at the first two hours of my life I hadn't seen anybody but Jesus, I'm doing good. Okay, like that's just the way I am. Now for her, she just no 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 she she really desperately she just loved to be around anybody all the time. Guess what happens after being married to me for a while, going in the ministry with me and having three kids? Guess what? She likes alone time now. <laughs> She really likes alone time. Sometimes I'll say, 
hey, babe, you want me to put the kids down and you just have, and the tire's already squealing down the driveway before I finish the question mark, right, okay? Like, she, she loves that time to have for herself. Now, she changed. Now, here's the thing, folks. If I'm still trying to love that version of her 15 years ago, that's not what she needs right now. Well, I got to... Man, I, we went through that long communication, and you told me how you'd like to be, and I, I've started doing that. She goes, yeah, and I've changed. And so it's not just that you know how to love them one year, it's every year of marriage. Learning how to listen, learning how to slow down, and to say this, this might be what I need, but what do you need? And how can I start giving myself away uh, to that? Uh, this, is, this is a question that uh, folks that can be very difficult to say in a marriage, but to say, what could I do to make your life better? Here's another question you can ask. How do you feel about us right now? How do you feel about us? Do you want the honest truth? I don't know. <laughs> but, but unless you acknowledge where it is, you're never going to get better. Never going to get better. Uh, intentional parenting. What are some practical ways that you need some help? Or not you, everybody else. I know all y'all got it together. But what are some ways that the average person would need some help in intentional parenting? Discipline with love. Yep. Listen, how to listen to your kids. Yep. Look them in the eye. Being more involved in their life. You know, I, I hear so many times parents talking about their kids can't put down their technology devices and they're telling me when they're staring at theirs. I mean, they grow up quick. They grow up quick. And I can be staring at everybody else's pictures, everybody else's kids, and mine are running through the house. Put the thing down and look at them, right? So some intentional parenting, being involved. Uh, church involvement. What are some practical ways that people need uh, uh, teaching and per church involvement? Socializing, greeting, what else? Getting connected. Serving, yep. Commitment. Yep. Yep. You're committed. I think it's great. So commitment works for any of these, but just this dedicated, I'm, I'm with it. Good days and bad days, I'm committed here. Great. Personal finances. Anybody got something you'd practical way? Balancing the books. Balancing the books. Yes and amen. What else? Stay out of the malls. Okay. That's a good one. Yes, I am. <laughs> Yeah, okay, there's a great, another great one. How, how you figure out the difference between a need and a want. That's a big thing, right? I'll tell you, this, is, this was my personal finance. I really do believe this. I wish every school system did a thing in personal finance because it's not happening a lot of time in the home. I grew up in a single-parent income. Uh, my, my mom was a teacher. I had, me and my sister were there, and we were, we were trying to make everything work. She didn't give me a whole lot of financial advice, but this is the advice she did give me. We don't go out to eat a lot, and when we do, we drink water. Now, that was the only financial advice that I got. But now, it served me very, very well, okay? We, we, we don't have a lot. Don't expect to spend a lot. Don't look at what everybody else has. You just, you'd be lucky if, if we go out to eat at Ryan's Steakhouse, and, if the, and on your birthday, if you get a Dr. Pepper, you remember that for a year, okay? Like, that's sort of how, and, and that, that's some, honestly, now, that's better financial advice than, than some people are living with, right? That, you know, you just keep doing out beyond your means. Um, this one is such a burden of mine. Such a burden of mine. Yes, ma'am. 
That's right. So get something on the menu, but don't get the most expensive thing, right? So every 10 years, right, that's, that's a good thing to learn, right? But, but there can be a lot of stuff that, that, that we, we know. Um, that One of the things that, honestly, um, I, I'm so burned about as I've been praying the last couple months about where we're heading next year and what we need to do uh, and think through as a church, I am convinced that there's just a lot of stress in our church family. Just a lot of people walking through a lot of stressful times. So just so y'all know, personal development of Pastor Trav, stuff that I've worked through. I feel like if I can get ahead of where the church kind of is and what we need to address, then we can plan better and budget better and preach better and teach better and all that kind of stuff if I can just get ahead. So sometimes I'll start putting stuff together and people go, oh, you're thinking that far down the road. I feel like if I don't, I'm hindering everybody else. So the last few months, I just can't get away. I feel like if I look at what 2020 is going to look like, where we are right now and what's going to happen in our culture, I feel like financial stress is a major issue. Major issue. I think emotional stress, circumstantial stress is a major issue. And I'm going to tell you, come fall next year, political stress is going to be a major issue in our, in our culture. So what I do is I go, okay, those are the issues. Now, what does the Word of God say about those issues? So I know come January what we're doing. We go into the book of Proverbs. We're talking about personal finances for a few weeks. We're going to jump in there and say, we, what does God's Word say about that? That's going to really lead how we're preaching, what equip's going to be like, any kind of events that we're doing, just equipping people. Why? Because a lot of people have never been there up to their eyeballs and debt and stress and you name it, and God's Word has a lot of truth for us to give. So those are issues. Same thing, life skills. I know there's all kinds of stuff, but I'll just go back to what Phyllis, you said, just commitment, right? It's just getting in uh, to do things. I'll say this. Um, I have become a... This may sound really silly, but in a lot of these areas, if I would just stop and say, let me work on how I need to do things differently than where I've been, and let me see if I can change for the betterment of others. That's what I want to do. Um, our, our first year marriage, back to the, the double-wide trailer for a second, I can remember one, one, this is one of my famous days. I love sharing this story with, with premarital, every, every council I do premarital, uh, couple I do premarital counseling with, I share this story. I'll say there was one, one day I remember that my wife, she was, she was balancing the checkbook, and she said, hey, you know, we, had, we, we didn't know a whole lot about personal finance. We said we we're going to get one account, but we had, so we had two debit cards but one account. And I, I, once again, I grew up drinking water, you know, if, if you go out to eat. And so I was, but the year before we got married, I ate ramen noodles every night. I was saving money. I wasn't making a lot, but I was saving a lot. So we got married. We were, we, everything was good to go. And uh, I remember one, one day I came home, we were talking, and she's bouncing the checkbook. She said, oh, did you spend any money today? I was like, um, yep, I went to lunch with my buddy. And she goes, oh, do you have that receipt? And I said, I can't find it. It's somewhere, somewhere. Uh, she's like, okay. And I said, um, do you need it? She's like, well, it just would help. And I said, well, I ate at Santa Fe. I got a Speedy Gonzalez with, uh, with rice, and I got water. Like, I, I, I should get, like, you know, like a hand clap for it or something, right? I, I, I did spend a lot of money. And she goes, okay, but you, you don't know where the receipt is? I said, I don't know. It, it was for something. She goes, for something. <laughs> Just writes it down in the checkbook. <laughs> now, I'm not the most perceptive person in the world. But, fellas, I said, baby, <laughs> is there an issue? And she looks at me and she said, I just don't understand why you don't love me enough to care about our finances. And I said, do what? And she said, I feel like you don't keep track of this stuff. And it makes me nervous 
of us starting a family together, and I feel like you just don't. She said, Trav, I see you get so organized in some areas, but what about this one? Now, I got mad. First off, I thought, that woman is crazy. It's a speedy with rice and water, right? It's, I didn't, I, we didn't, we're not in debt. I didn't go, go break, the, you know, break the bank account or anything. But here's what this is. This is just bonus for everybody here. The woman, a woman's greatest need is security in her marriage and her home. She wants to know things are stable, and she wants to know that a man is thinking about things and not going crazy anywhere. That it's security is what she deep down wants. And what I was doing, not caring for that, I was making her insecure. I'm supposed to be providing security, but my disorganized self was causing more insecurity in her life. I was robbing her of what she needed. And something simple, just one day she's like, Trav, just don't you see this as more important? And here's the thing. I didn't know what in the world to do. I, I was just sitting there going like, I guess I don't need to eat out anymore, right? And it's like, I remember I, I drove somewhere, and, I, and I'm talking to the Lord. I'm going, Lord, I don't, I don't know what to do with this woman. Like, I, I don't know how to help her. I don't know what. And, and then finally, like, the more I thought about it, the more frustrated I had gotten, I realized this. It's my problem. Keep up with the receipt, Travis. If, she's, if we're going to organize our finances, learn how to do it. This is not rocket science. Keep it up and work at it. But here's the other thing. So I didn't know what to do other than I, I just bought a Dave Ramsey book the next day. I read the whole thing by that night. I said, hey, we're going to start doing this. We're going to do blah, blah, blah. And, and she's going, whoa, not that much. I said, oh, no. We're gonna, and I started just going completely like overboard. And she, and she looked at me. She's like, you're not like this. I'm like, I know, but I'm changing because it puts you at ease. I'm going to change the way that I am because it allows you to be more who God's called you to be. And so I, versus me going, you need to change. You don't need to be so uptight. No, she, she was exactly right. And so for, for, let me just tell you something. She would laugh if you were to look at the version of Trav 15 years ago than you do right now. I mean, just I've, I've completely changed, and I've had to learn to do stuff. Why? Because it's important to her. And I'll say this. It's been more God-glorifying because you know what? We're freed up in our finances to help out in kingdom efforts now. It's a beautiful place to be. Where you're not going, I don't know where seat is. I don't know, can we give? I don't know what's going on. What a wonderful, wonderful blessing it is. And so I'm saying, this is not just you be a better you. You be a better you so you make everybody else around you better. So what is that area in your life? This last little section, evaluate. This is what you, you really got to do the homework on. But some of you may already know. Hopefully you do by uh, today. But if you were to look at it in this way, uh, what, where's the most uh, dangerous risk or the most significant prospect? That was the thing we sort of started off at the beginning, and I'll say again. But if you were to evaluate right now your family, what is the most helpful skill you need with your family right now? And you might say, I need to learn how to speak the language of my spouse. That might be it. Or it may be something with your kids. Some of you right now, you need to help figure out how to take care of your aging parents. It's a, it's a different game. It, it's, it's very challenging for a lot of people, and you've got to go, I need some skill in that. That is a stressful situation for me. Um, there are so many parents, follow me for a second, parents of young kids whose kids are out of control. I know y'all have never seen any child like that, right? Child is out of control, will not listen to anybody. You worry they're going to burn the place down as soon as you turn your back on them. And what happens if a couple is married and their children are out of control? What happens to that marriage? It separates, falls apart, gets stressed out. They turn at each other, and they, they're literally just trying to manage stuff. So what people don't realize is when the kids aren't addressed, the marriage suffers. 
When the marriage suffers, guess what? Your job's going to suffer, and everything else follows suit with that. And a lot of times people say, well, my child's going through a phase. I go, yeah, it's a phase. It's called rebellion. It's called sin. It's called somebody needs to get in there and, and show some love and, and discipline what needs to happen there. Because if you don't, it affects every other way. So what's the most helpful skill you need with your family right now? Or maybe you look at the church. As you serve in the ministry of your church, what spiritual gift or practice of yours could you further develop? And you might say, well, what does that mean? Have you been called to something? You've been gifted to something. And instead of just doing the bare minimum, you say, I'm going to really push in and do better. I, I want to really work hard at this. Can I just tell you all something? There's a practice that I do every week, and it's one of the most miserable things that I do. Most miserable thing I do, and I do it every single week. I listen to the sermon recording after Sunday. Sometime on Monday or Tuesday, I'm going to sit in my car on the way to work, and I listen to myself preach. It's bad when y'all have to listen to me preach. It's really bad when I have to hear myself preach. Because all I'm hearing is all the stuff I did wrong. You said this there. You should have said that. That didn't make clear. You were blah, blah, blah. And I just, and I, I just, I hear. But you know what happens? The more that I face it, guess what happens? It forces me to get better. It forces me to work hard and do the things that I don't want to do. I don't want to listen to myself. I just, I don't know how y'all do it week after week. I don't know why you're here tonight. Like, I'm just going, it's difficult. And yet, the more that I do it, it trains me to be better. And so sometimes you got to say, okay, what is that thing that I need to work on? Or uh, in your situation, it may not be once again preaching, but you would say, or is there an area in my life that I could do better than what I am currently doing? And the last one uh, is personal. Um, as you consider loving God with all your strength, is there an area in your life that you need to address? So